Welcome to the pilot episode of Grand Bags Funeral, a new eclectic podcast where three old friends jump down the rabbit hole of their obsession with film, music, books, and culture. Grand Bags Funeral are Simon Rance, co-founder of Oxford Cinema Under the Stairs Movie Night, and co-presenter of the Excellent Cuts podcast. Also joining us is Matt Ritchies, urban poet and specialist market researcher, and finally me, John Harmon, media production lecturer in the wild mountains of Norway and an ex-film producer. The three of us have been messing about with music, film, and so forth together for the last 30 years, so we will likely riff on all these adventures too. Each month, we'll take a topic and dissect it from all angles, and likely go off-piste as we do so. This month, in our pilot with just Simon and I, we discuss origins, which involve jumping into the worlds of Fight Club and Alien. Anyway, here we go. Thanks for joining us, and I just wanted to... um... We're going to talk about uh, three things really tonight, and I think mainly the basis of the conversation will be around origins. We're going to talk about uh, Fight Club, but probably mainly about the novel, and then we will talk about something else we have in common, which is the love of the movie Alien, and uh, your recommendation to me was Memory, the Origins of Alien, which I watched last night prior to this. And then we will go on to talk, uh, segue into the unproduced screenplays of um, Alien 3, and one of which has just been released as a graphic novel by science fiction cyberpunk guru William Gibson. So if we start off with Fight Club, now, for me, um, and I'm talking about the movie here, it's a movie that I was completely glued to when I saw it in the 90s and completely lapped it up. I remembered feeling slightly um, off-put by some of the attitude of the film, and I've never been able to describe it. I'm not sure entirely what it is, whether there's some narcissism in there which didn't sit well, but the thing for me was... It's not a movie, although I was glued to it, it's not a movie I ever, ever went back to until I watched it again prior to us showing it at Cinema Under Stairs so I could, like, you know, rejuvenate the data banks before we had a conversation about it on the podcast that we recorded prior to the movie show. Yeah, yeah. And I realised when I watched it that the second time round, um, I didn't enjoy it anywhere near as much first and foremost. And it's obviously very much a film of its time. And it, it's interesting that because it, it, it's totally of its time in terms of uh, visual style. And I, th- I, th- I, think, I think the reactions to it when it came out was it was incredibly novel and most of the techniques in it were incredibly novel. I don't think we'd really had an onslaught of of a movie quite like it. And the themes were kind of very zeitgeist, I guess. But, but it, 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 and it's been imitated and kind of replicated in so many things. I mean, it's even been kind of pastiched in the very things that it attacks. So, so, um, but, but the themes in it are quite interesting because, and then these go, I suppose, back to the book, because the themes of kind of nihilism and issues around male identity and and and, and cult and terrorism and and so I mean 
it's I don't know whether it's permeated the culture or whether it, it, it's reflected in the culture, but you know, it, it, it's no accident that the alt right use the term snowflakes, you know, and and, yeah. and and Fight Club has bizarrely kind of become a bit of a manual for for the kind of HN incel brigade. And if you look at it or read it back in in, in, in through that lens you start yeah. to kind of see a whole bunch of stuff that's almost predicted in the book because it, it, it's it, it's a it's a, essentially a satire, but that has kind of become a slight reality when you start looking at, at the way kind of trolling works and, and so forth and groups uh, of people looking for an idea and men's rights activists even uh, have a very fight club tinge to them. You know, Milo Yiannopoulos is very much the Tyler Durden of the digital world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's just, I mean, regarding the film, before we go back to the book, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me, the biggest shock for me is when I first put it put it on, um, second time round, was the title sequence. Now, originally, <clears throat> so I believe, um, Fincher wanted this, like, extreme, um, this extreme beginning um, this this montage um, of go is it going through the brain cells? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, it's going, then, it's going over yeah over the brain cells and through the, the yeah. amygdala and um, stuff. Yeah. Now that costs an absolute fortune, right? But the thing is, as as in with so many things, unless it's done um, in an incredibly original way, a use of technology becomes dated so very very quickly. Now, as soon as you start that film, the typefaces on the title sequence, that whole that whole segment, and the bizarre '90s um, uh, subgenre of music that it gave us, which was like a mix between metal and techno. Yeah. Uh, which you know, it's like when we were at college together, we were surrounded by the fucking stuff. We had Biohazard and all of that stuff, you know. And it's just that stuff is not dated well. And, and when so the beginning of the film, um, from being revolutionary at its time, is now, it just feels utterly flawed. But if we go back to the source material, um, uh, if probably pronounced wrong, Chuck Palahniuk. Palahniuk, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you tell me, when, was, when, was the, when did you first read that book? How did you get hold of it? How did you hear about it? I mean, I, I discovered... I discovered the book through through the film. Um, I'd, I'd never heard of, of of Chuck's work until I'd seen the film. And again, I, th I think because the film kind of hit hit me as hard as it could, I guess um, at the time. And I and I think because it it was it was a culmination of themes. That I think that were kind of at the underbelly of the nineties. I think for me, Fight Club was just a Bill Hicks joke <laughs> told <laughs> told live, you know, and and um, that made me. I, I wanted to go and look at the source material and see how different it was. And and when I read the book, I was incredibly surprised by how how uh, the film really taps it. It, it actually taps into the essence of the book, almost like no film adaptation I'd ever seen before. Oh, and, really? Okay. Yeah, and, and, and I, I had, as you know, like I, I'd been quite obsessed with uh, 
the writing style of Brett Easton Ellis, who again has a very nihilistic, uh, minimalist way of writing. And then when I read Polanyi's work, or when I read Fight Club, it's the same. It has it has this sort of uh, very yeah very minimalist and incredibly descriptive. And I I've always liked. Uh, mm. books that are very descriptive and playful with words and, and disgust you or, or, or tease you. And I think, I think Brett Easton Ellis and Balanic are very much in the same wheelhouse with For sure. With that. I, mean, when I, I mean, I remember reading Brett Easton Ellis. I've only read two of Balanic's books. I think you've lent me both of them. I think it was... Um, the Survivor. A Survivor, which I loved. Yeah. And Lullaby. I didn't like much. But... Um, uh, when you talk about like minimalist writing, I mean, if, uh, looking through Polanyi's influences, I mean, Brett Easton Ellis is definitely one of them, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, but also, I mean, he's he's influenced by Joan Didion, Don yeah. DeLillo, who's a, who's pro- pro- probably my favourite writer. But I, the the weird thing for me is it's just like the dark side to his stuff. I mean, yeah, I know it's satirical. But it can be so nasty; it's almost offensive, and he seems to be relishing the uh, the upset it's causing. Yeah, now, I mean, I, I, that, I, I think that's true. I think, I mean, yeah. I, I've been I've been to some readings that he's done, and and the way he the way he reads his stuff, he really yeah. kind of drags out the he. he he knows what he's doing and he really likes twisting those words and being playful and lilting. And that there is, there's a, there's a specific quality to how he plays with words. And it's, it's, it's uh, like somebody knowing how to kind of play a piano to kind of get an edge out of you. You know, Um, he, he, he picks words in, in a very sort of, precise way that inflict certain emotions or effect and he he knows how to prod you to make you wince and he also knows how to kind of disgust you and then flip it back on you as well and i think i think as time has progressed that's slightly mellowed and isn't isn't quite as nihilistic as his early work was and and that Mm -hmm. can be both good and bad but i think uh, uh, as a writer, his his way of looking things has matured a lot. And but do you think do you think that's do you think that's diluted his mojo, or is he still going strong? Well, it's weird because uh, I think it did start to dilute his mojo, but then he had he had this issue a year or two ago where his accountant basically embezzled every penny he had, so he suddenly had to kind of get back on the horse quite quick and start pumping work out. So, so um, it, it it seems to it seems to have sort of slightly taken him back to playing to the crowd a bit more, like. It, 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 I think a lot of people were kind of saying, "Why don't you know?" It's a bit like Woody Allen. Why why don't you do the funny stuff anymore? Why why don't you do the twisted stuff so much anymore? Um, and he, I mean, he's gone back to Fight Club twice now uh, 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 as a source to to write write new interpretations. Tell me about the sequels. So the 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 sequels. Uh, it started off uh, with obviously Fight Club Two. And it returns back to the narrator, who who is now given a name, um, which I cannot remember off the top of my head. Um, but it, it goes back sort of 15, 20 years later. He's married to Marla. 
and they've been living this subdued kind of existence on medication and basically Tyler is is sort of like hacking away and and Marla is is bored in in the relationship so she starts uh, taking away his meds secretly to release Tyler again and it, okay. it it all kind of flows out and then it goes quite crazy because and I th- I, th- I think this then opens up it's worth reading because he's written them as graphic novels. Uh, so he's written them and then other people have obviously done the artwork for it because he wanted to do it in a different form. And yeah. what it does is it really opens up all of the, the themes of, of Fight Club. And it, if you go back and watch the film or read the original book, it makes you kind of slightly reinterpret okay. what it's about. Because, I mean, what he's essentially saying... It, it, the issue is like the id and the ego of man and Tyler is the ego that's run rampant and and actually it sort of starts to open up that Tyler has always been there and has been the destroyer of you know and is virtually Thanos you know so um and and when you go back and kind of read or, or, or watch Fight Club you can see these things you know you can see the Manson quality you can see the kind of cult you know the, the, the whole space monkeys thing is very Manson-esque and 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 the whole playing with you know he, he, he's very playful with saying hate consumerism and stop the system telling you what to do and replacing that with a system that tells you what to do and you have to adhere to because he's sort of like taking the piss out of nihilism yeah and he really kind of explores that a lot more uh, in, in Fight Club 2 and, and, and it really expands in, in Fight Club 3, I, although I haven't got to the end of Fight Club 3 yet. So that's still being published, is it? Probably? Yeah, and I mean, you, you can look at it cynically and say, you know, he needed to earn money because he'd been embezzled so much that he, he went back and did, did something popular. But it, it's an interest, and it's interesting, it's not just regurgitating what's gone before, it really kind yeah. of expands and play and plays with some actually quite metaphysical notions as well, and and really kind of starts looking into the metaphors of Fight Club a lot more, which, which I think is interesting. Well, I mean, sometimes you know, I mean, it's it's not always shit. Uh, um, someone to go back to their crowning achievement, even if they're seeking to, it's not as strong. I mean, I'm a big fan of Catch Twenty Two, for example, Joseph yeah. Heller's first novel, and. Um, it's pretty safe to say that um, although um, two more of my favorite ever books are also by him, he never, he never hit the, you know, he never hit the paramount of catch 22 and he went back to it um, making uh, writing closing time, which I think is amazing. You know, yeah. it's completely yeah. amazing. And, and I don't, and, and for me, it's not about, Oh, it's not as good as the original, but if it expands on the original, it expands on a huge universe of which Fight Club is. It feels like anyway, um, as as did Catch Twenty Two. Then that's a healthy thing to do. That's not, well, that, I, I, you know, that's not it, it, that, that's not paying that's not paying the mortgage in Malibu. Do you know what I mean? No, that's and it, it's 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 interesting that we have this relationship with film remakes. And, and and when I heard Catch Twenty Two was being made as a TV series, I slightly groaned because of how much I love the book and and the, the original film of it. And I don't know why we have that relationship because we don't have that relationship with say plays. Like we don't get pissed off when somebody does a new version of Midsummer Night's Dream. We actually get excited 
the, the yeah. interpretation. And I, I do wonder, is that because film is still doesn't have that hit but maybe we're getting to that point i mean i i think it'd be interesting if somebody went back and remade fight club but through today's lens right okay like if you under I, if you understood the themes yeah i think it'd be quite upsetting though no it would because how, how would you make it a parody <laughs> so yeah, yeah yeah exactly well okay is there anything else on fight club you want to add I think I think the, the the only thing I suppose with Fight Club that still intrigues me is just the cultural impact it has had, and and as you said, it, it it's very much of its time, but it fascinates me how much of the iconography, how much of the the tone of what was said and the things it predicted, just have kind of happened and permeated, particularly this this kind of online uh, trolling or, or, or sort of HM culture. That, that fascinates me because I don't think you could have ever seen that at the time. Yeah, sure. And, and you, yeah. you definitely feel like, I, I think you, you, you didn't understand the message. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean that, that, that definitely uh, seems uh, to be the fact that... Um, that the satire and parody is is was lost, and it but, was but it, um, it was lost at the time. I mean, um, th there's a great chapter in a book by Art Linson, uh, who was the producer, and he he writes this brilliant chapter of the screening that they gave the film to the Fox executives, and they all just went white. In fact, one person walked out and threw up like, "Oh my god, what have we spent money on?" Because they just couldn't comprehend how they'd made this film even though they'd all read the source material and they'd all but and and they didn't know how to market it and in the end they marketed it as a kind of uh, WWF film and that's where they put ads what were on uh, WWF ad breaks and they were like it's a fight movie and and it never connected with an audience at the time it was released because nobody know, knew how to sell it right okay and it only, it only it only became it only got a new life through DVD and, 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 and a, sort of cu a, a cultish follow. It's, it, it's something that was dis, sort of discovered after the fact as, as, as a, a film to watch. And it's obviously now in some of the top lists of, 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 of the sort of 90s. But at the time, right. it, it completely bombed and, and all of the studio execs got fired. <laughs> I mean, and they knew it. They they said they sat there, and, and apparently they sat there in the screening, just going white, knowing that their careers were over at Fox. And apparently Fincher just sat there and grinned and loved it, and and he because he knew they they he had final cut or he they couldn't do anything to it. Well, I mean, I, the weird thing. I mean, if he did have final cuts very early in his career, right? I mean, what? I mean, prior to that was obviously Seven, which yeah. was a biggie. Um, prior to that, what Alien Three? Yeah, I mean, he he'd done obviously a lot of promo stuff. So he, you know, uh, he'd done all of loads of stuff through his his uh, music promo company. So he was pretty big as a director there. But I mean, Alien Three was a complete disaster for him. But Seven had been a massive hit. And yeah, uh, but I, I don't. I'd have to go back to the to the chapter exactly how he had so much control. But they they said they forced him to change one thing. Which was uh, a line that that Marla says after the sex scene with Tyler, 
And I can't remember what the original line was, but he changed it to, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school, which was worse than what the original one was. But he wouldn't let them change it back after that because the line in the book is different. Right, okay. Just going back to Art Linson. I mean, Art Linson's, <clears throat> I mean, obviously, produce, producers aren't very rock and roll. And um, un unlike directors, writers, and actors, they don't get too much credit. But I mean, just looking through his filmography, which I'm doing at the moment, it's fucking unbelievable. Oh, he, he, yeah, he's he's up there as one of the top producers. I mean, I mean, he, I mean, I know he produced one of my favorite movies. He produced Heat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Along, along with Arno Milken, but like he's so starting out in '75. In '76, he did Car Wash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 1980, he produced and directed Where the Buffalo Roam about Hunter S. Thompson. Oh yeah, 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 with Bill Murray. Yeah. Fast Times at Ridge Mountain High, The Untouchables. Scrooge, Casualties of War, the department movie. Yeah. Uh, Dick, Dick Tracy, yeah, maybe not. This Boy's Life, De Niro again, Heat. Yeah. Uh, he, did, he did Pushing Tin, which was um, a bit of an oddity, but a good watch. Yeah, then yeah. Fight. Yeah. Uh, he, did, he did Heist. He did Spartan, the Mammoth movie. Uh, he did The Palmer's Black Dahlia, which is bollocks, but a great watch because it's, it's so over the top, it's insane. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's not bad filmography. That's pretty incredible. His his book, which I think is called What Just Happened, is an amazing Oh, movie. that made it to a movie, wasn't it? De Niro. Oh, it was. Yes, yes. Sorry, you're right. Yeah. You're right. But the, the, yeah, the chapter on fight, but the, each chapter is a is a different film story. Okay, excellent. Well, I'll have a look at that, definitely. Yeah. Right, so I think we're going to move on. We're going to move on to the documentary which you recommended me to watch and I watched yesterday, which is Memory, The Origins of Alien, which is directed by Alexandra Ophelique. Yes. Um, Who did 7852 before? Yeah, yeah. About, the about the shower scene murder in Psycho, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, so tell me, obviously... We're not, going, we're not going to talk about Alien, as in the entire movie. It's another movie that's shown at Cinema Under the Stairs, um, landmark 79 film that basically changed sci-fi and horror, I'd say, forever. Um, and and it's, a, now, it's a masterclass in filmmaking, isn't it? For, for, oh, for sure. For what it and, is, yeah. Oh, mate, incredible. And it's the dude's second movie. It's insane. It's God, totally yeah. insane. Yeah. And... Um, I mean, it It feels like it's, you know, the, the thing for Alien for me, I said we weren't going to talk about Alien, but it's kind of impossible. <laughs> the, thing, the thing about Alien for me, it, you're right, it does, I mean, it does feel like a masterclass, and it feels like it's made by a master. And he was, you know, yeah, he'd done his commercials, and he'd done The Duelist, which is, a, you know, it's a stand-up movie, but it's not fucking Alien by any stretch of the imagination. And, um, but I think what happened there um, was obviously... Um, which have, you know, which is mentioned a lot in memory, was the coming together of some very great minds, you know, and a lot of being unsung. And I think what memory did for me was, um, you know, um, shout from the hills about Dan O'Bannon, which yeah. is uh, which is long overdue. Although he was featured in, um, I can never remember the, the name of the documentary. I think it's almost three hours long. It's on one of the. Uh, it's in the alien aliens box, the alien quadrology box set. Yeah, um, he's interviewed quite a lot in that, and obviously he's passed away. But um, uh, memory feels very much about him as well as about the movie. Yeah, and no, I, 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 th I think 
what I liked about the uh, yeah, yes, it's a, a making of, but it's not. And what what's nice is it really goes into the themes and the kind of thing that you do when you're creating stuff is you're kind of scrapbooking lots of inspiration from all over the place. And it really nicely details those little, you know, the little things and the big things. And then the kind of amazing explosion that happens when you bring three or four people that were thinking about these various different things together and what happens. And I think, sure. I think Alien, Alien is such a, and, and the story, the mem- memory that kind of goes into, you know, Ridley Scott's kind of art history obsessions and, and, and certain classical story obsessions, Geiger's obsessions with things, and then Dan O'Bannon's obsessions with, 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 with certain story things and, and the, the visual stuff that O'Bannon really wanted to get across as, as a kind of horror. And I, I, I hadn't really seen a, a documentary that kind of went into that in such... Now, at times, it slightly disappears up its own ass, but... Sure. And, and and you can't help but feel it's a lot easier to, to look at these things with 2020 hindsight 40 years later. Yeah. Because you you feel some of it might be slightly revisionist uh, years later. But um, <clears throat> just the obsession about re- the things that you probably don't think are the obsessions that go kind of go into films, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, what, I mean, the... the what what I really enjoyed about it was um, was the amount um, that so Abannon and Ronald Shusey got you know they got a bit more um, spotlight yeah and uh, these guys were living in poverty um, but trying to back trying to bash out this screenplay he'd done twenty nine pages and he was stuck on page twenty nine and he asked Ronald Shusey if he could do it Ronald Shusey kind of had a, like a fever dream. And it was um, about how the alien gets on board. I mean, hearing that kind of stuff when you're into movies is just wonderful. And the other stuff I really enjoyed um, was seeing a Giga's wife, right? And it's just yeah. like, it's a, it's a, you know, because you see his artwork and as terrifying and as beautiful as it is, it's just like, oh, wow, so he's a human being too. Okay, he's not just a complete fucking nut job. <laughs> Like, oh, that's that's kind of nice, and also you know stuff that maybe you know lots of other people have obviously, but I never picked up. I never picked up um, from his artwork uh, specifically the Egyptian stuff. He was absolutely obsessed with um, with Egyptian um, iconography, um, and I loved the I loved the beginning of the documentary with the Furies. Yeah, that was great. Really good touch. And I, I, I really like the. I think what I liked about memory is 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 also the obsession about the details because actually, Alien is almost a film that works so well because of the obsession to detail and like like just finding out how the mouth of the chestburster kind of comes from Francis Bacon paintings. Yeah, that was brilliant. That, and that the was way they did that was just really nice, and it just sort of layer it out and bring it out. All. And and one thing I'd never considered is, is how much kind of Lovecraft had affected Alien as well. Yeah, of course. And that, that um, hadn't yeah. really that hadn't ever really kind of tapped into my head. I was I was aware of the kind of old sci-fi films that it was sort of slightly modelled on. Yeah, 
And of course, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. start to realise that that from one Lovecraft story, essentially Alien and the Thing come out of that in a very short period of time. And, and O'Bannon and Carpenter, you know, all these, you start to see this kind of weird zeitgeist thing. Of course, is O'Bannon and Carpenter do Dark Star. He doesn't get a, he doesn't get a co-director credit. Yeah, goes off utterly pissed off. Um, both USC students, then I take it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he and that's when he writes the the screenplay, which is initially called Memory. That's correct. Right? Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. Star, and then Alien. See, I, I would love to do a double feature of Dark Star and Alien, <laughs> just to kind of juxtapose the two. I love, I love both. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. yeah. If you had to choose, it's going to be Alien. But yeah. if you're going to take a movie to a desert island, it's not going to be fucking Alien. You don't want to watch that for the rest of your life. That's and, for sure. And, and I think Alien is, and, and I, this is why I was particularly interested, I suppose, in the origins of it, because the obsession about these nightmarish things and the, the, these very primordial things, and they go very much into the kind of psychosexual aspect of all of it, which some of that iconography is very obvious and some of it isn't. And yeah. I the thing that still resonates always, I still think Alien is the scariest film I've ever seen. Yeah, I think you might be right, you know. I mean, I, I, I think um, Alien, Halloween, and The Haunting are the three scariest films I've ever seen. And, I mean, and, and Jaws when I was 12, or 10, or whatever. That's <laughs> when I saw it. Yeah, yeah, no, no sure. I mean, that's completely fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, with memory, what what it what it did was unearth a few things we didn't know. It also went over a lot of stuff, you know, movie buffs already know. Yeah. But um the, the only thing it was I, interesting. Sorry, go on. Sorry, the only thing I didn't like about it was I, I, I did feel there was some revisionist history going on which was slightly trying to justify things that Ridley Scott did in Prometheus and, and Covenant. Kind yeah, of say yeah, it was yeah. it was always there. And I'm like, I'm not entirely yeah. sure it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, without slating a man who's obviously done so much great work, yeah. if ever a dude has lost his mojo, it's the it's senior it's senior Scott. Well, I think Covenant just went like this is this is like some weird James Whale Frankenstein kind of yeah, and 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 very camp. Well, it's probably more camp. Hammer horror, I think, Covenant in in many parts with Fassbender's character. It's alive. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Um, yeah, it's a bit Corman esque. Yeah, it's Corman. It's Corman. It's Corman. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Budget stars. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing uh, I enjoyed about Memory before we move on to the next segment um, was uh, how. Uh, O'Bannon's wife got to um, big him up because I think I mean Walter Hill as much as I like a lot of his movies um, especially Southern Comfort um, I think sort of dumbed him down slagged him off said the script was shit and all this you know which is kind of a surprise for essentially an action movie director yeah. who makes tough movies and um, it was nice to, it was nice that his corner was able to be fought because um, you know I mean let's just have a look at his um, Dan O'Bannon's filmography now it's not it's, it's not obviously through the roof I mean I know he did um, 
he did the screenplay for Total Recall. I remember that. Yeah. But he's not. Um, he's never hit. He never hit the heady heights of Alien again. And I think it was a film that almost killed him. Um, but he was obviously taken on to the. I mean, one of the one of the key things for me about Alien again. I mean, never a happy accident. I don't mean that. But you had all the backup stuff from Jodorowsky's June yeah. ready to, right? So you had O'Bannon already, yeah, take, taken on by this crazy dude Jodorowsky who had this ingenious vision, and Giga was there already because of June as well. Now, did O'Bannon bring Giga onto June? No, I think he. I think I understood it that Jodorowsky had brought Giga onto June, but introduced O'Bannon on June okay. to Giga. Yeah, okay. and that just it all connected, and they they they, they just they, connected. Again, again, it's one of those things of minds coming together. I mean, without Jodorowsky's vision for June, Alien, as we know it, doesn't happen. No, no. Way. I mean, and that that radically changes the film in its entirety by not having that yeah, happy accident. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Uh, it, I mean, yeah, it would still be a scary movie, but it wouldn't have the cultural impact that it's had um, without without Giga and um, you know just with Dan O'Bannon's script yeah. and even with someone even with a visionary like Ridley Scott directing it. Without that, you know, it's it ain't there. It's not happening. And Joe, you know the first so, the first film I ever made, we nick we nicked a shot from Alien. <laughs> An exact carbon copy of a of a steady cam going down a corridor. It was an exact rip off of a shot from Alien. And uh, what was that? What was the movie? As a Deadbolt Dead that you. Oh yeah, I worked on that. Yeah, yeah. that was fun. And speaking of Alien memories, can you remember going to Alien War in the Trocadero? Well, I was going to bring that up. I was going to bring that. <laughs> That's very weird. Like our our things like amalgamate together. Um, not saying that that is. But uh, the dude who was with the Marine, who was like a sort of Hicks-esque Marine, yeah. ended up being at my being my boss at Riverside Studio, and he was a, he was an out of work actor who became like um, front of house for Riverside Studio. But he was one of the Marines. That was one of his acting gigs when he was when he had some downtime. <laughs> and I I remember that was fucking terrifying. Well, I, I, the, the story that I, I always tell people is when I remember we were trapped in an elevator and yeah. we, we had our friend Rachel with us and the alien yeah. came through the elevator and you threw her and the alien has just legged it. <laughs> That's like a Sean Connery Bond moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember doing Alien War and that... I think that's when I kind of knew how scary Alien, because it had affected me so much. And it wasn't just because it was a scary moment. I think it was just, there was something so palpably scary about that creature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, I mean it's, it's still the thing of nightmares, right? There's nothing scary. There's no, there's no monster that can be invented scarier than that. It's just utterly, utterly horrible. So no. looking at... Looking at Dan O'Bannon's um, selective works here, so you've got Alien. He was also spe special computer effects on Star Wars. Okay. In 74, co-writer, special effects editor, production design, and co-star in Dark Star. 79 was Alien, uh, um, going through notable works. Heavy Metal, the uh, oh, yeah. stuff. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. He co-wrote 
She co-wrote the movie Blue Thunder. Oh, great, yeah. With yeah. Roy Scheider. Then he co-wrote Life Force, which is Toby Hooper, right? And that's a mad film. Actually, I, yeah, yeah. actually thinking that, that, that has a very, yeah, very O'Bannon-esque. Then he did, um, as writer and director, The Return of the Living Dead. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he did Invaders from Mars, which was Toby Hooper again, I believe. Yeah. Then Total Recall. Um, then he, he went back to... Um, did Philip K. Dick do the original short story for Screamers? Do you remember Screamers? Is that the Peter Weir film? No. No, um, no. no I, uh, do you mean Peter Weller, Robocop? Yeah, sorry, Peter Weller. Yeah, so Pete, yeah, Peter yeah, Weller, yes. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Peter Weller. Yeah, face, face, I do think it's just like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah just after witness. <laughs> Yeah, based on the second variety by Philip K. Dick. So he's obviously a bit of a Philip K. Dick fan, but who isn't? Right. Exactly. So let's let's finish off about uh, talking about the um, talking about Alien Three. Not so much the Fincher movie, which ties us into Fight Club, but the unproduced screenplays and um, you know what it what it could have been. I mean, to be honest. I've I've revisited Alien Three a lot more than I have Flight Club, and now I really like it. I lo- I like it quite a lot. Um, I, I I think I think it gets a bad rap, and especially in comparison to some of the other Alien movies. Yeah, I mean Alien is obviously the best. Aliens is a spectacular, terrifying shoot 'em up. Yeah, but I think Alien Three is a better movie than Alien. Although I'd probably be crucified by um, sci-fi buff. Better than, better than aliens, did you say? Yeah, better than aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just, more, it's just more interesting. It's just, it's weirder. It's, I mean, if it could be darker than like you know an entire colony of families being wiped out by an alien, then it is darker. Um, it's certainly better than fucking Alien Resurrection. It's oh, better wait, than Alien versus Predator One and Two, um, and it's better than Prometheus. Yeah, and I'm yeah. not even going to Alien Covenant because it was like. You know, it was uh, that felt like a wank in space. <laughs> I was just thinking of the tagline in space: "They can't hear you wank." But, yeah. um, cream. There you go. Yeah. Now, we talk about. So, if we talk about the, um, one of the one of the first um, unproduced screenplays is by a chap called John Fasano from an original story by Vince Ward and John Fasano. Right. Now this is this is the one that uh, set in a kind of what looks like a medieval um, a medieval uh, spaceship um, run by monks, where they would like like as monks do harvest and live off the land. But it's in a wooden spaceship with windmills. Turb- I mean, very fucking weird. But visually arresting, and you can go online and you can find the images of some of the things. I mean, you've got, um, so you've got like basically a gothic cathedral in space, which when, when you watch the beginning of Alien and you look at the mining craft that the Nostromo is tugging, it actually looks like the Milan Duomo 
the amount of um, I mean the, the amount of spires on it. So it's kind of like a vibe of that. Now I'll just read you the um, the backstory of it quickly. I won't go on about it for ages. Fasano and Ward's screenplay opens in what we think is the Middle Ages. We are inside a foundry as monks wearing cassocks or molten glass. It is here we meet Brother John, an aspiring physician. He treats an injured monk suffering from minor burns. John is described as not yet 40. Um, it appears the glasswork is part of a multi-leveled medieval monastery as John makes his way up a wooden staircase. We hear chiming bells in the distance and low chanting throughout the building as a streaming procession of cassock monks make their way to lunch. Uh, John collects a book from the Abbey's library, heads up a spiral wooden staircase to the bell tower and out through a door onto the roof of the building. A dramatic pullback reveals that the roof of the Abbey is actually the surface of a planet. That sounds amazing. Well, could, could, because this, if I remember correctly, this, that script came out of... Because you know there was, there was a different director originally attached to Alien 3. Yeah. And the idea, because he had done a whole thing about a, a navigator and medieval odyssey, I think, a guy called Vincent Ward, and he was originally hired to come up with the story which then yep. Fasano, I think, developed, right? And then That's Vin right. Vincent the Ward... by Vincent Ward and John Fasano, screenplay is by Fasano. And, and Vincent Ward was attached to direct, and I think he was quite heavily into pre-production when they decided to get rid of him. And Fincher was actually brought in with virtually no time to prep. And that's... I, I think he, he, he's always angry because he feels like he was just brought in to be pushed around, which is basically what he was at the time. Yeah. I mean, just going, so just going yeah. back Sorry, to this yeah. description, I'll just read this tiny last bit. So this is a man-made orbiter floating in outer space, five miles in diameter, constructed by the company on special order. John sits on the shore of a large circular lake and begins to read. His attention is caught by a bright point of light moving across the heavens. Over the coming days, more and more monks gather to view the approaching star until their numbers swell in the hundreds, watching and waiting. Then a title card appears, Religious Colony, Population 350 Exiles, Crime, Political Heresy. I mean, it would be amazing, but I mean, what, you know, I'd love to see that. And we'll go on to um, the next one in a minute, William Gibson's unproduced screenplay. But like this, just looking at the imagery of this, this is a graphic novel which needs to be made. And I hope after um, William Gibson's one, which has just been released by Dark Horse, the same thing happens to this, because it looks utterly fascinating for alien fans and, you know, fans of, like, sci-fi horror alike. It's that, that mix of kind of, like, steampunk, medieval, sci-fi horror. I mean, it just looks absolutely fascinating. No, no. You can find, find tons of these images. I mean, I'll give you... Um, it's a WordPress, mossfilm.wordpress.com. Okay. Put, um, put in Alien 3's Monks in Space, you'll find it. Cool. Just getting that up now. So moving on to another unproduced Alien 3 screenplay, which has um, probably has a bit more razzmatazz about it because um, one of my favourite writers, for sure, William Gibson, 
um, wrote the screenplay. It was his first ever screenplay. He said he didn't know how to write a screenplay. And he was expect he, he thinks the comics were expecting him to put together some kind of uh, cyberpunk alien movie, um, which would have been the zeitgeist at the time, because like he was obviously hot property with his debut novel, Neuromancer, which was the first of what became the Sprawl trilogy. Yeah. Count um, Zero being the second, and Mona Lisa Overdrive being the third. Or is that the other way around? Yeah, Count Zero is the second. Anyway, so um, William Gibson uh, wrote the screenplay. Um, that got dumped as well. I think this would have been um, possibly the first one prior to what we've just been talking okay, about. Okay, yeah, 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 that would make sense, yeah. I can't be sure, but I think so. But I think basically the cost of what we were just talking about would have been like, that's not happening. Fox had a shit fit. Um, but yeah, now this one has just been released as a graphic novel. So uh, William Gibson, Johnny Christmas and Tamara Bonvalain um, and Dark Horse, uh, Dark Horse Books have released that. Now I read this this week. This is tremendous. And although probably not as aesthetically pleasing as the monks in space um, concept, what's very interesting about it is that it's all about the alien as weapon. Um, so the oh. Wayland Yutani yeah. and all of that. And basically you've got um, the Wayland Yutani core and then you've got what appear to be a bunch of Marxists in space on the other side. So essentially, you've got a cold war in space fighting over this organism which has been found on the Sulaco. Um, so you've got Ripley after aliens. You've got Newt, Newt is still alive, so unlike in how we find her and Hicks in Alien 3, they're both dead in the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> in this, they're still alive. And um, it's about the alien coming um, coming on board, um, the eggs, the usual body horror, but it's the it's the slam um, on the Cold War stuff that makes it really really interesting. Um, but I think you know, reading it, it would have been so heavy and miserable <laughs> to make. It, to move it. I mean, you and me, we we would have watched it three times in a row as would loads of other people. But would it have been a commercial success? I mean, it's more miserable than Alien 3. And Alien 3 is a pretty miserable movie. <laughs> it's moody. Because, because it's just like the whole thing that the good will out. I mean, the last segment, I won't give it away for people too much. You know, the last segment isn't the end of the world, but um, it ain't great either. And uh, so, you know, it, it really feels like... Um, what was talked about in memory, um, the whole base of it was just like, you know, them getting hold of this thing and bringing it, bringing it to earth via ash. You know, is this the end of humanity? Is this, is this, is this humankind killing itself through total hubris? And, uh, um, and that, that's one of the sort of interesting things of, of, of where the alien franchise has gone, because it, it's, it seems after aliens, the, the the many strands and themes that have been set up over Alien and Aliens kind of just got lost, and it yeah. went and and it it just felt and it smacked so much of kind of the producers 
go, no, this has to be a cash cow, and it, therefore it has to kind of deliver on certain things. And and it lost, and and Alien Three as monks in space, I think would have would would, would have deli- would have kept that ethos alive. Maybe it wouldn't have gone into the 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 Wayland Utani stuff so much, but and and then they that tried- a bad thing, right? I don't think yeah. that would be a bad thing. As much as I love dystopian, miserableism shit that, like, corporations run everything and they're going to kill us or they're keeping us alive to make money for them, what happened? You know, the thing is, I mean, by the end of Alien 3, the corporation are no longer faceless. They're, they're too visible. They're, yeah. you know, they're, 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 they're too tangible in, in the whole aspect of the thing. What's so cold about Alien is that it's completely faceless. It's the company. It's the company, the company, the company. You know, and I think the more it's gone through the Well and Utani thing, what it's done is just like it's kind of made that a lot more uncreepy and made it a bit more robocopish, a bit more OCP. Yeah. Which worked perfectly for that movie because you're talking about the downtrodden being trodden to dirt, you know on purpose uh but but by keeping it by by keeping enough people alive to make money out of them fucking stuff up well alien um you know the consensus over you know over the passage of the films just like yeah the weapon well in new time went the weapon and if they are this all-powerful corporation um which by you know the end of alien 3 you think they run the world um they should be able to harness even the biggest cunt from out of space at some point. And then, uh, exactly, and then, and then you kind of go, uh, you go back to it with with a slight kind of, uh, you think the Wayland yutani thing is going to be very prominent in Prometheus, and, you know, then you're going to go, well, actually, the whole the whole thing's created by godlike creatures and humanity and aliens is also very... <laughs> then you're going right back to kind of Egyptian... But I suppose you're going back to some of the underlying themes that they were talking about in Alien, but it's a shame that they surfaced that in the way they did. Yeah, yeah. It's it's too much of a layer to go, right, there's an evil corporation that rules everything, and oh, by the way, it's all God. Oh, man, I mean, seriously, if they're... I mean, without it being complete overkill, if you're talking about the anthology of, of Alien, there's nothing better for a Netflix series. Yeah. Do yeah. the do the whole fucking lot. You know what I mean. Do the lot from start to finish. Um, but uh, but the, I, you know the later movies, I just think failed at that. You know they failed. They failed at keeping the fear alive. You know, or the dread alive. The dread of the unknown. It's just all all of a sudden. It you know this stuff was known. You're as soon as you start expecting body horror, it's. Although it's gross, it's no longer horrible. Is that fair? Well, no, but it's it's also uh, there's an obsession with explaining the origins of of these known kind of properties. You know, it, it, it's it's the same with like Han Solo. The, the whole reason Han Solo works as a character is because he's a mystery. The minute you yeah. take that mystery away, it's actually not that interesting. When you explain sure. all of his his mystery and coolness. You know, yeah. so if you did an origin story for about the man with no name, it would kind of not I was work. Exactly, I mean, 
that's exactly what popped, in, popped into my head. It's just like, you know, 20 years before Fistful of Dollars, you know what I mean? He sees his parents get murdered or whatever. It's just like, oh, okay, that's why That's why he's an ice-cold cunt. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, no, no, let, let, let's have a Jaws origin film, you know, like it was a little shark. Yeah. <laughs> now, saying that, I'm very stoked for the, the, the Joker origin film, but just purely because I like the, the way they're approaching it, I don't think necessarily going into the origin of the Joker is... is interesting in itself but i see that as a performance piece that's interesting. oh totally and, and yeah, a homage well, a homage to a bunch of films i quite like oh yeah king of comedy and yeah. taxi driver yeah i mean i mean to be honest we went absolutely apeshit at that cinema on the stairs when we saw the trailer it's just like it looks amazing and i'm no fan of superhero movies but maybe that's why maybe that's why i like the joker because he fucking kills superheroes or tries to at least um, yeah, anyway. yeah. And and the one thing I was going to say is, is he, have you ever looked at the original Prometheus script, Alien Engineers? No, I haven't. There was there was, there was a script written by John Spate. You can get it online, uh, and and that's interesting to look at. Maybe where the, the the tenets of what are Prometheus are there, but it, it was a lot more solid, and it got very well. I, I think. Damon Lindelof just turned it into a weird lost episode, but um, I, I, I think again looking at the origin of, and Alien has this so much. There are so many missed, probable better films than what were made, and I, and I think that's always been because of who's shepherding the it as a franchise. If Dan O'Bannon had been alive and throughout this, I think that we'd have had a much more interesting anthology of films. Well, he would have had to have been given the power by 20th century yeah, Fox no, for as sure. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which just wouldn't happen. And I'm guessing when Alien was made in 79, two years after Star Wars, which was also Fox, Alan Ladd was in charge of Fox, and he was an interesting dude who wanted to see interesting yeah, films yeah. made. Champ, you know, he would have championed both, I'm sure. I mean, I know he did Star Wars, absolutely. But, but I, th I think going back to your point about how, how memory... Uh, uh, champions O'Bannon I think we can now see if it's just Ridley Scott it's not as great <laughs> yeah or if it's just one of them it's yeah, not yeah, as great. yeah or maybe it's, it's just one of them yeah 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 I think you know it's, it's the amalgamation of all these creative minds coming together at just the right time it may be a happy accident who knows and we've got like you know one of the greatest films ever made I think without a doubt um Anyway, what we've done is is talk about Alien too fucking much. And, uh, <laughs> but, what, but what we have done is what we uh, set out to do. Um, the title of this podcast will be Origins. So we've talked about the origins of Fight Club. We segued that from David Fincher over to Alien 3. Um, bunny hopping um, the documentary Memory, the origins of Alien. So I think we've done very well there, John. I think and we didn't well. even have a pint. I know, it's amazing. This should have been done this in time. We're going to sign off now, and then we're going to cut this off and catch up properly. Cool. All right, then. Take care. Join us next month. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.